we stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his holy word. Our Old Testament reading comes from Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 10, which is on page 152 in your pew Bibles. For you are a holy people to the Lord our God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Our New Testament reading is 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12, which is on page 1015 in your pew Bible. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We give you thanks for your word that speaks to us, and we pray that you would help us now as we reflect upon the majesty, the, the majestic things that you have done in bringing salvation to the nations for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The title of today's message is once you were not a people. That phrase, not a people, means that you were, you were not a group. You weren't a tribe. You weren't a nation. You weren't gathered together anywhere. You lacked unity. We lacked unity. And this phrase, once you were not a people, signals that a change has taken place. A transformation has come about. And an identity has been formed where once there wasn't one. But what has happened to bring about this change? What took place 
to cause this transformation? What mold has been cast to form this new identity? And why is this change necessary? You say, that's too many questions, Pastor. Well, these are all questions we should ask of the text, especially since we are a church who embraces this vision of scripture, the vision of being a multi-ethnic people of God. So we're coming to the end of the series on the vision of grace. So the title of the series is So That the World May Know, Answering Common Objections to the Multi-Ethnic Vision. And so this is part one. You'll get part two next week. So just to recap the objections that we've covered thus far, objection number one, aren't you just being woke? Objection number two, why this vision? Isn't it just one among many possible visions? Objection number three, why is the church so obsessed with color? Objection number four, you can't be authentic in a multi-ethnic church. It's best to stay with people who are like you. Be homogeneous. What's wrong with that? Objection number five, the vision of being multi-ethnic can't be absolute if it doesn't fit my context. Shouldn't a church's vision match its context? And we've shown how the gospel answers each of these objections. And our hope is to continue to convey the vision that scripture places before us of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and language gathered in worship before the throne of God. That that vision we, we keep before us. And so, it's true that everyone's daily life is lived on some kind of picture they have of the future. For, for instance, you know, consider how little children at a very young age, you know, they, they can think that, that they are bigger than they really are. That sense of independence. I can do it. It's really coming from their vision of a future whereby in their minds, they're going to be grown. You know, my parents, they own their own janitor company because there is money to be made in cleaning up other people's dirt. Yeah, you know, my dad, he had a lot of equipment. Yeah, and but one of the things that fascinated me as a child was that floor buffer. <laughs> I watched my father do it. I figured I could too. I could do it. That was my vision. It's not that noble. I was a kid, so. <laughs> but the machine was bigger than I was. But that's all right, I, I could do it. Or so I thought. And every time I saw that buffer, I wanted to take it for a spin. You see, my vision impacted my daily life. And then there was my, we were at one particular store and my father left the thing standing in the middle of the floor and I thought, here's my chance. You know, then I got a hold of that thing, you know, you know and as soon as I turned it on, <laughs> I mean, it took me for a ride. <laughs> it's like, it's like I had no idea what it would take 
to operate that thing. I had this vision. <laughs> I had this vision. I had a hold of it. It took me all over the room. It was a good vision, but I was unprepared for what it would require of me. Now see, this, this series of sermons is to equip us to carry out this vision of the gospel. What is it going to require of us? And so today, we're looking at objection number six. Multi-ethnic versus multiple ethnic. See, that's to say, isn't it enough to have churches made up of multiple ethnic groups? We have Anglo churches, African-American churches, Korean churches, and Hispanic churches. Isn't this the equivalent of being multi-ethnic? So this, that approach is separate but equal. That's a separate but equal approach to the gospel. And it sounds like it might be good. However, it's at best minimizing a gospel reality, or at worst, it's denying a gospel reality. Because our scripture readings give us a vision of multiple ethnicities having been made one through Jesus Christ. This is the power of the gospel. We are not called to be separate but equal. Why? Well, the scripture text casts us as proclaimers of God's excellencies since we are the people of God who maintain a faithful presence before unbelievers prompting God's glory when judgment day comes. That's the sermon in a sentence, but we're only going to deal with one point today in the next few minutes. That first one, that we are, we are proclaimers of God's excellencies. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, from the time of Jesus' resurrection and ascension and the birth of the church, his followers have been proclaimers of the excellencies of God. You recall Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit came down, the disciples spoke in different languages as the Spirit gave them utterance, the text says. And then, Acts 2, 5 through 11, it says, listen to what it says. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the ports of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. You see, from the very beginning, the church is they're the proclaimers of God's excellencies, and this is what the church is made for. But to understand why this is so, we must consider what are the excellencies of God that the church proclaims. Well, the excellencies of God, 
So that word, excellencies, it's, it's, it's the virtuous course of thought, feeling, and, and action that God, that God possesses and he, that he takes. So the excellencies, are, they're found in the mercy that God has given. It's in the new birth. It's the power by which we are being guarded for salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. The excellencies have made us, as verse 9 says, a chosen race. Chosen. Like Christ, the living stone, we are elect, chosen out of many ethnicities, and yet through the new birth, we are a new people. He says, a new race. The Greek word is genos, and it's, and it, so it's, it's a biological term. So we're, we are different cultures, our skin color is different, yet we have a common progenitor in the Father. We are one, not by ethnicity, not by skin color, but by creed. Born through the seed of God's word, through faith in Christ, we are one in him, a family. See, these excellencies have also made us a royal priesthood, the text says. We, we are priests of God. Revelation says, a kingdom of priests. He's the great king, and we are his royal servants. We are serving the world with the truth of the grace of God as we mediate God's blessings to the nations. See, but... Here's the third thing. The third, the third thing that the, that the excellencies of God are seen in him making us a holy nation. And only the church, only the church, sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, this is what Peter says, can lay hold of this claim. Think about this. The fourth excellency, the fourth excellency says this about this holy nation, that God says that out of all of his nations, and he owns them all, every nation belongs to him. He prizes the church. You're his possession. The word for possession means to preserve as one's property. It's, and so it's rightly translated treasured. You're his treasured possession. You're, tre you're his treasure. The church which Christ has purchased with his own blood. And Titus would say, use this same phraseology about being his possession. The church is like Christ, precious to God. Hallelujah. You know, we, I mean, what, we, what we should give our hearts to as we think about these descriptions is that this God has said all of these things about Israel. This is what we read in our Old Testament reading. All of these things were said of, of Israel. So Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. But see, the description that, would, that, that, that is of the nation of Israel, it goes beyond just the nation. Because in Deuteronomy 10, he goes on to say this and about sojourners and foreigners. Verse 18 and 19 says this of chapter 10. Based upon God's love for them, this is what they are to do. 
He executes justice, he being God, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You are foreigners, accept the foreigners. Love the foreigners. Why is that? It's because God has a vision that goes beyond the nation of Israel, of which Israel is, gets to be a part of. And so what Peter is saying is he takes all the promises of the old covenant, he's applying it to these men and women who are from every nation and tongue and tribe. You can see in chapter 1 where they're all from. And he said, for everyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you are the true Israel. You're the true Israel of God now. So the proclaimers of his excellencies are to do, to do this. In this, in this multi-ethnic gathering, not separate but equal, but in this multi-ethnic gathering, there is this celebration. Because that's what that word proclaim means. It's a, it's a word that means proclaiming, praising, and celebrating. That It carries all of that idea. And so that, that this ethnic unity that has emerged through the preaching of the gospel is intentionally celebrated. It's intentionally celebrated. So this means that the excellencies of God are best proclaimed through the multi-ethnic church as a family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, highly treasured by God. See, the multiple ethnicities approach of separate but equal is insufficient to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. In fact, our light is still under a bushel if we are segregated. How could we count the message as good news if it doesn't unite us in one body across lines of ethnicity and culture? See, if there's no demonstration of this unity, we miss the mark. It wouldn't be good news if the healing only covers our individual personal sins and, and, and it fails to heal our ethnic divisions. So, now, some of you might be disappointed in the message today because we're talking about multi-ethnic churches versus multiple ethnic churches. And some might say, haven't you seen the news? Israel is at war. I've seen the news. I've seen a lot of the news. Yeah, and I see, too, at its root is an ethnic struggle. And as some might say that it's a religious struggle yeah, it is, it's that too. But what you have to recognize is that both religions, Judaism and Islam, are rooted in their culture. It's rooted in their culture. Christianity doesn't belong to any one culture. Professor Laman Sana, he's an African scholar, and he taught at Harvard and Yale, and he says this in his book, Whose Religion is Christianity? It's a, great, it's a great little book. You ought to pick it up. He writes, Christianity is the religion of over 2,000 different language groups in the world. More people pray and worship in more languages in Christianity than in any other religion in the world. You see, Christianity doesn't belong to any one particular religion. And so... This is precisely the message that the nation of Israel needs. Hamas needs. Palestinians need. They need to hear that Jesus Christ is the only one who gave up his life to bring healing 
to the sin of our ethnic strife. See, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The scripture says to who? The Jew first and also the Greek. See, in this war, think about this. The believing Palestinians and the believing Israelites are of the same family. Through faith in Jesus Christ, they are of the same family. See, Michael Byrd, in his commentary on the book of Romans, he says this. He says, to justify any form of ethnic or racial exclusion means that one either does not understand or does not believe in justification by faith. Grace and racial prejudice are mutually exclusive because justification creates a church, a new covenant community consisting of Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, Greek and barbarian, white and black, Arab and Latino, African and Asian. Churches that practice racial segregation, even for pragmatic reasons, deny the biblical teaching about the doctrine of justification as it works itself out in the koinonia fellowship of the church. You see, the earliest preaching of the gospel shows us that the church from its beginning was multi-ethnic, and it will be multi-ethnic in the end. Brothers and sisters, this makes the gospel really good news. Hallelujah. Yes, we, we, are, we are one in Christ, whom Peter says is the cornerstone. He is the unifier. He brings us together. His death on our behalf has brought the excellencies of God into the lives of the nations. Hallelujah. See, the fact that Christ was rejected by the builders, i.e., those leaders and, and rulers of political and religious authority, it makes him the only one who is approved by God to save all who come to faith to him for salvation. And 1 Peter 2.6 says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I, God, am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. See, this is to say that regardless of your culture, your class, your ethnicity, your language, or your disability, through faith in Christ, you will always be approved by God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is the one foundation that is enough for every person, ethnic group, language, and nation to build upon. And together, through Christ, we celebrate the excellencies of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, indeed, how beautiful this work is that you have accomplished through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are grateful for his lordship and his leadership, for the rescue that he has provided for all of us from every tongue and tribe and nation. And Lord, we ask that you would enable us, Lord, to not lose focus on what it is that you are doing because of all of the things that go on around us. But, Lord, indeed, may each of us in our, in our cultures, in our languages, take it to heart that we are your treasured possession. And you will protect us and keep us, all of your children, 
and you will bring us together into your presence for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray.